You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome listeners to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host Kelvin and with me today are Amy, Christos and Mark. Hi everyone. Hello. Hi there. Hey. How's everyone doing today? Good. Christos and I were off last week, so good to be back. Yeah. Thanks for covering Lovely for us. You. Did you Did you have fun? What Too I, much fun. Yeah, what, what I can remember of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you needed a full week to recover from it then, Pretty I much. Say. Did, yes. No, it was so lovely. Listeners went to visit Christos over the break. Um, lovely. Oh, thank you again so much. Lovely life. Met some amazing friends that you have. We got to talk and read and watch Star Trek. It was just wonderful. Well, Mark and I steered the ship in your absence, you'll be pleased to know. So you've not come back to uh, a disaster. <laughs> uh, we kept the wheels turning. How's your week been, Mark? Oh, it's been great. Uh, I'm definitely feeling good. Uh, a couple weeks ago when we recorded our first installment of this communication uh, series, Hailing Frequencies, I was sort of under the weather and a little bit not myself. Uh, so hopefully today I can be a little bit more engaging than, than last time. <laughs> well, you did it well. You did well. Don't worry. Um, I don't know how everyone's coping with January. I'm very much into the um, dry January, no alcohol month for me, and a crazy gym routine as well. So uh, I'm there's not a lot of much not much fun going on here it's being careful what you eat it's not drinking and last night i had to go and celebrate my uh sister-in-law's 40th birthday oh, yes, involved, yes it involved a night out to a nightclub sober i don't know how people do it i never i felt so out of place oh wow that is a lot of wow. that is a lot of restraint um i am mm-hmm. also watching what i drink but i am not dry i have too many birthday parties and things going on this month but i have definitely cut back and i am working out quite a bit we have the star trek cruise coming up and i'm trying to get off my 2022 weight and get ready for that i think (laughs) my biggest distraction is like it seems like every day there's a little little tidbit about uh picard popping up uh season three so i am just getting like more and more and more and more excited by the day for this. Oh, hurry up, January. Be gone, be gone. <laughs> February on. Absolutely. Can't wait. Right. Should we have a look at, uh, at the communication logs and see if we have any feedback for the episode last week? Uh, our good friend Matt Harker gave us a, a dossier of feedback over on social media. So I'm i going to paraphrase if that's okay. And this was from episode 103 with myself and Mark last week looking at Children of Mars, the short trek. Uh, and Mark um, wanted to remind us that the Federation and Starfleet are not one and the same. And uh, expecting Starfleet discipline from civilians and our children isn't to be expected. So good point well made, Matt. Thank you very much. Uh, and he did thank us for the subject because it really prompted him to uh, go and rewatch that short trek that he hadn't done for ages. So thanks for your feedback, Matt. 
Oh, great. I didn't see that. So that's awesome. I, I'm glad at least we had that listener. <laughs> yeah, those short treks uh, really get overlooked. So it's nice to hear you talk about that. Yeah, and here I was expecting to have a very uh, short recording session with Calvin last week. And, well, we just kept on going. And <laughs> we ended up having pretty much a full-length episode. Uh, but Indeed. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Do any of you read um, Star Trek Explorer magazine? It's loaded with short stories that take place at kind of pretty much anywhere in the Star Trek universe. I just read a really cool one that's... Uh, Set sometime in the TNG series, probably, uh, well, it mentions Alexander being a problem for Worf, so it's probably five or season five or six or seven, but Beverly and Worf go on a little shuttle mission. Of course, you know, what, how do shuttle, mes- shuttle missions end? Um, always bad things happen, but um, it was a cute little short story, and I, my thought to myself was, wow, you could take any one of these short stories and it would be a short trek. Hopefully mm-hmm. some of these, uh, these uh, little short stories will make their way and they're written by like prolific star trek authors so it's not like they're just Hmm. it's not even fan fiction for that matter you know that's one thing i have been missing was these short treks i mean we had two little seasons you know two seasons of four i thought oh how perfect these little bite-sized stories very episodic but yet part of the continuation and I wish we could get them back. I know I, and I sound so greedy asking for more Trek when we are so blessed with so many series, but it's their fault for whetting my appetite. Yeah. Remember short Trek, um, the concept originally came along to kind of buy time in between the discovery seasons when discovery was the only show at the time CBS yeah. all access or Paramount plus was airing. So that's where they came to be. Um, and then of course they got to this point now where we've got, you know, new Trek almost every week. So I guess it kind of, in their mind, erased the need for, but, um, I think they didn't realize they created a really cool medium and to tell stories in. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It would have been a perfect antidote for January. Where is our new Star Trek this month? Exactly. On, on top of your dieting and exercising, there's no new Star Trek for you, Kelvin. <laughs> I know the universe is out to get me this month. Speaking of the universe, what's been going on in the world, Mark? Now it's time for All Good World. From Las Vegas to Boston, USA to Canada and South America. From the United Kingdom to South Africa, from Russia to Australia, the South Pacific, and beyond, this is All Good World. Each episode, we highlight a different location around the globe where this podcast has reached. Today's episode, we'd love to give a special shout out to our friends in India. Hey, India! Well, our fun fact for today uh, is about language. Shocker. Tamil is an official language of the Indian state of Tamil Nadu, the sovereign nations of Sri Lanka, Singapore, and the Indian territory of Puducherry. Tamil is the oldest language still in use today. By order of appearance, the Tamil language, part of the family of the uh, Dravidian languages, would be considered the world's oldest living language as it is over 5,000 years old with its first grammar book having made its first appearance in 3000 BC. 
This member of the Dravidian family is probably the longest surviving language in the world and is also the oldest written language. So both of those things. That's pretty amazing. That old of a language. That is. When you said Dravidian, I was thinking Davidian from Time Zero. <laughs> and I was thinking Viridian. Oh, Voyager. No, yeah. no, no. Um, oh. Viridian 3, right? Generations. Generations. Oh, Generations, yes. For a certain okay. Enterprise yes. saucer section, apparently, it's still fitting. Yes. So previously on All Good Things, you might, might remember episode 102. We started our, our new series on exploring communication in Star Trek. And this group decided it might be a good idea to take on the entire season four of Discovery, which was probably a mistake because that was a lot to cover in one episode. So we split it into two. And this is your second part of that. If you listen to part one of the series, you know this topic can get pretty deep and personal and sometimes political. Remember that these are just our opinions and views and are meant to provoke thought and discussion. Um, and I hope our listeners take it that way. Christos, so let's pick up where we left off. And I'll hand to you, Amy. This was, was your baby. Um, and so let's continue with our next topic. Where are we taking it? All right. So one thing that was just pretty darn cool and got me excited was how is Species 10C communicating with us? Let's get down to the logistics, the nitty gritty of how are we talking to each other. And so with the hydrocarbon and the light things, like it was just so cool. And I'm like, okay, they are giving us, and they said that there were, what, 16 basic emotions that came mm -hmm. through with these hydrocarbons. And so I was like, okay, they, they're giving us 16. How do we communicate? And so a quick Google search tells me there's nine common types of nonverbal. So outside of the words coming out of our mouths, we have facial expressions, paralinguistics, which is your tone, your loudness, your pitch. And there's a lot involved with that. Uh, body language, proxemics. So that's like how close you stand to each other eye contact, gestures, haptics, like when you touch someone, you know, that says a lot there. Uh, the uh, Your overall appearance, what are you choosing to wear? Are you, you know, having tattoos? Like that communicates something. And also artifacts, sending a gift um, also is a way of communication, which they think they should do in Discovery. And we've seen that a lot of time in Star Trek. So... We've got verbal and nonverbal. So I just want to open it up to you. How are you guys relating these nonverbal that Tennessee is communicating? Are the is it did they capture all of it? I think it's a bit of a mathematical equation. If you think about it, it's a combination. How we communicate is a combination of things. It can be speech for one, and then on top of speech all of these nine things that you just you just listed that kind of go into contact with or into context with that so i.e. if you speak very flat robotic you know without emotion it's pretty we call that you know tentacle oh you're being very cold you're being very standoffish and whatnot but when we get happy or mad you know we tend to get louder and 
you know, it, it implies so much. That's why you see in communication now, we have a lot of miscommunication when it comes to texting because we, we always say things get lost in textlation <laughs> because there is a lot of these nine things that you just mentioned here that cannot come across in a text message other than maybe going from all caps to no caps to that's probably the only thing you can you can do other than that um you've you removed these um, nonverbal type of, of of communication things so it becomes harder and we tend to have miscommunication so i think it's that combination of things that really define how we speak and if you think about how the 10c spoke it was the combination of hydrocarbons and the light patterns and to come and so you have kind of have more than one of these things that we're talking about here so i think it's parallels very nicely so but they they kind of picked up on your point in the episode um where burnham and co go in the bubble and they go in initially speak to the tenancy and they say we want to communicate a number and and they say well how is that going to be interpreted there's you know there's four of us there's four so all of those kind of you can communicate a word a message but how is that to be understood and the point you just made about uh, text messages and emails, for example, I think um, maybe that's how emojis have kind of moved on into normal, informal speech, because I know I'm terrible for this and I'm very aware that I do it all the time. I try to kind of punctuate my text with an emoji to show that I'm making a joke or I'm happy about this. And that's like that's the light pattern to my hydrocarbon. Oh my God, words. you're so spot on. <laughs> uh, but clearly, you can't do that in an email. So if you're in like work mode and you're writing very professionally, you're not going to put LOL or use a poo emoji or probably an eggplant in that <laughs> space. Uh, <laughs> not in the workplace. So then you have all these other filters and fluff, as I call it, of I have to train people how to work like in customer services. And you don't just go cold into your message. You you put a sentence at the beginning saying, uh, I hope you are well or something. And sometimes it comes across quite disingenuous, like you don't really care. But it's important that you do that for context so people don't think you're being blunt. Right. Mark? Uh, what I was thinking about is when they first start opening up a dialogue with the 10C, uh, one of the th first things they do is they essentially copy the message that the 10C has sent them and they send it back like a mimicking, right? And what that makes me think of is uh, when you deeply listen to somebody and you repeat back to them something that they said to you. Oh, from what I'm hearing, you are saying this. Did I understand you correctly? You know, you repeat back to them. And so when you start doing that, like what they did with the 10C, it shows an understanding. You have reached an understanding, whether it's with somebody that speaks a whole different language or with somebody that speaks your own language, but there is an intelligence there and you can see that the other person is at least trying to communicate with you. Absolutely. I think they've done that in Star Trek before where you mimic exactly the same message to show 
either it's not a random coincidence there's some form mm-hmm. of intelligence the one that comes to mind is in voyager uh, where there's the two voyagers in deadlock and they mirror the signal so they know to lock onto each other um but i think it's been done elsewhere too um i think that's an active listening technique what you've mm-hmm. just described there mark and i think it's either clarification or um it's not paraphrasing paraphrasing is to say it in a different way um but yeah it's almost summarizing or, or uh, clarifying in active listening yeah it, it, it's showing understanding it's showing that you are paying attention and I think that's part of it because sometimes, I mean, I, I literally just gave two lectures on Friday, training lectures at work on customer experience, and so much of it was based on communication. So I'm just kind of like smiling big over here right now as we're having this conversation because we just really talked about email and things like that and how you, you, you can't be short with people. You need to put some pleasantries in there to convey, you know, you know, some niceties and things like that. But um, yes, I think when you are communicating with somebody, it's, it's showing a deep understanding when you repeat back what they say. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up the emojis because I think that sort of adds another layer now to our text that we were getting so terribly miscommunicated with because we couldn't, Mm. you know, see the emotion that went behind the words. And it's boiled down to six basic emotions, and then everything is a a compound of those. Um, Happiness, sadness, fear, surprise, disgust, and anger. So then we like, okay, so I'm feeling joyful. So that's a little bit of happiness and I don't know, surprise, I, you know, so like you're getting this little mix and match of these basic emotions. Um, and what I find so freaking astonishing with this season is like, okay, we know we communicate through all those, you know, touch and voice and da da da. Like, how creative are the writers to say, okay, how can we change the way that this alien species talks to us like how would you even to come up with hydrocarbons and light that's too crazy but i love that it's the lights are the words the hydrocarbon is the feeling yeah well it's 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 so cool christine's deep 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 really well-written science fiction which is at the end of the day what we're all here for right and sometimes maybe why this season kind of stood out, or at least this part of the season is, you know, TV writing, movie writing and whatnot has gotten quite, you know, lazy. If you think back to when we've had these bigger topics, it's been like motion picture, 2001 Space Odyssey, things like that. Some of these bigger, you know, types of science fiction where you have to think a little deeper. We always feel like Star Trek kind of goes there, but... I think even for this season, it was above and beyond some of the other treks as far as really deep, you know, science fiction. Um, This particular season gave me a lot of feels for the movie Arrival. There's a lot of similarities there. There's a lot of that where communication really comes down to it. If you think about it, sometimes our idea of the universal translator in Star Trek, it's too convenient. It's so, oh, suddenly we're talking to whoever. There it is. It's the universal translator, and we're just carrying on. Whereas it's only in New Trek have we started to explore 
what happens without a universal translator. We've seen that in Prodigy. We saw that in season two of Discovery. Yeah. I mean, Star Trek has tried this before where they've either had a species that's too complex for the UT or like with Enterprise where they thought, let's just make Hoshi an interpreter. But even that concept fell flat a little bit and it wasn't really explored. This is just so different. It is, it is like you just said, top quality, imaginative science fiction. Even the, the light patterns and the hydrocarbons and then combining it with the element of touch as well, like in Rosetta where they, you know, they put their hand in and they feel that emotion. So all very, very alien, which is exactly how it's supposed to feel. Yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, that in fact, this season wasn't really about a big baddie who wants to, you know, tear up the Federation or harm our heroes. Um, in fact, everything that happened was, you know, unbeknownst to the 10 C aliens. And the biggest challenge of the season was overcoming the communication gap. So, Calvin, when you said putting your hand in and that touch, like that reminded me when Tarina did the mind meld, right? With the species 10C. And it just randomly, I'm like, okay, so is mind meld the best way to communicate because you're getting this open and honest transference of not only the thoughts, but your feelings and your intention and like all of that from your brain. But then I was thinking, you still could deceive because we have seen like when Spock mind melded with, or sorry, uh, Sarek mind melded with Picard and it was, let me just share this portion of you so that you can understand. But it was very specific, very direct. So if that's true and they can control the mind meld then can't a mind meld be used as a a deception and therefore not make it the most open communication in trek potentially i mean let's remind ourselves that would you see a devious vulcan so whether you can or you can't would they do it but there has been a lot of different displays of what a mind meld is a lot of the time it is just the passing of a memory sometimes it's almost like guided meditation through reprocessing of a memory to pick up on something that that person can't initially remember i know tuvok did that a lot on voyager and again the whole kind of the enterprise um view of the vulcans and mind melds of it being such a deeply intimate act which is why it is so frowned upon uh, back then because you don't want to share that much of yourself and we've seen a lot of different examples i do just want to say though at this point talking about that mind meld with tarina what if she could mind meld with the 10c all along why did she only do it right at the end she could have saved us at least three episodes (laughs) weren't they actually in the 10c like like discovery i must said voyager discovery was actually in the 10c in the their yeah. hyperfield weren't they inside the hyperfield when she did that yes otherwise yeah. you know Trina at no other point did she get you know in the other episodes did she get anywhere close to the 10c or the collector that was over you know closer to in the alpha quadrant so it's only later when she was actually when the ship was actually in the field this uh different question communication question here but wouldn't you think that if you are trying to, let's say, 
have a covert or secret conversation with somebody. Uh, a hallway on the middle of a busy starship uh, would not be the best place. Uh, I'm looking at Ndoye. Um, <laughs> I mean, isn't there like a broom closet or, you know, a bathroom she could have gone to? I mean, she's like, hold on, I need to do this secret correspondence. I know, I'll go into the hallway. Like, I don't know, that was just a little surprising. Oh, hey, talker, it's your girl Ndoye. <laughs> <sighs> what you doing? I'm just chilling here in the middle of the hallway. <laughs> it's totally private. Don't worry. Anything you say is just for my ears. <laughs> Great part points. And Christos, thank you for pulling me up on that uh, mind meld. You've made me kind of temper the way I think of it because I just saw it as Tarina having a mind meld with a window. Mm. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I, I, cringe, I just rewatched the entire season four. I did kind of like do, do a little okay when i was watching that scene but um you know we've seen weird weirder things so yeah they were immersed in the hyperfield so let's let's move on to the challenge which you we're going to look a little bit about book and his role in all of this communicating with the 10c so start us off here amy well I found it very interesting that at the very end in the last episode, you know, we have 10C, we finally communicated, okay, we're, you're destroying us, you're hurting us, you're killing us, and the 10Cs, oh, we didn't know, we'll stop doing that. And then Book doesn't say, nope, that's, that's not good enough. We, he pushes further. And what I love about that is, when it came out, like the whole political thing, and it's like, okay, if you believe one thing and you know that it's damaging to others, is that good enough to say, oh, we're sorry? No, you should go and try to rectify, to fix the situation. It's not good enough just to say, oh, I didn't know. Now I know I'm going to stop. And Book pushes him and say, stop living in a hyperfield. And I feel like that's where we can take this as an example and apply it to our life that it's like, yeah, I can be in my little bubble and I have everyone who, you know, agrees with me and say, oh, that was wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll stop doing that. No, get out of your bubble and interact and try to make a change. And that's what I loved about Book's challenge to the Species 10C, but to them even having a hyperfield. Excellent thought. I thought it was a. I, I've got a lot of issues with Book in this season and the way he was played. And, you know, he, I could argue that he spent about 12 episodes of the season living in his own hyperfield of anger and revenge. Um, that's all he was focused on. And um, to a point where he allowed himself to be easily manipulated and he manipulated others. I feel like for at the very end, you know, that. After everything he did, I liked those scenes where, you know, he's at the end and he's talking about the 10C and all those things you just mentioned, Amy, because I fundamentally believe in that concept. It just felt a little short for me to have him, like, suddenly, like, go from the downward spiral he was in. He just kept digging, getting in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper all season. He, the, the line, that line kept on moving every time for him. Things that he wouldn't do, he did. And then suddenly at the very end, he's having this 
you know, this moment of clarity where he's the moral center of everything, that actually falls a little short for me, even though the meaning of the scene was right. But is that not the almost the redemption arc of realizing everything he's done has been wrong and then turning it around? Are you saying it's not kind of the, the, the payoff was it enough? We've had several episodes of nonsense and then a moment of redemption. Was it not balanced? I think enough? it wasn't balanced enough. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think we spent eleven season eleven episodes ruining this character. And then we tried to pull him back to somebody that we care about again in the last scene. And for me, I don't know what they're going to do with book in season five, but they got an up here battle for me personally, because I, I used yeah. to really like the character. And then I really started to hate the character as he got, as his actions got worse and worse in season four. Yeah. So Mark, I can understand. I definitely understand why Christos feels the way that he does. It was, I think, an uphill battle for the uh, the viewers to stay on board with Book this season. But what I think kept me rooting for him was just, I think, maybe the backstory of like the season before of him really um, not being able to get home uh, often or see his brother or see his family and missing his uh, planet and talking about his planet so much. And he loved his planet. And then finally, you know, at the end of last season, he was able to get home and he sh they had the walk around with, with Burnham. And just to have all of that snatched away so suddenly and the opportunity to never go back. I mean, it was a intense violation for him and he is somebody that comes from a species that's so empathetic just to just feel so intensely for all of the, the beings on the planet, not just the other people, but like, you know, those, um, the trance worms and the birds and all of the creatures in that, that special tree, he mourned all of it so deeply and so intensely that he, I could see the justification the whole series of him just wanting no other people to go through that. And he would go through any lengths to make sure that nobody else had to feel the way that he felt or go through what he had to do. Uh, so I, I can get that. So for me, it's uh, going to, it's not going to be as challenging for me to have him have redemption just because I was able to hang on, you know. A little bit longer, I guess. Yeah, I think I hear, I, like I said, I hear all points of this. I just, like I said, I think if you look at what Book did, he stole the prototype of the spore drive, or Tarka did, but he was involved with it. It went in the Book ship, and they left in it. Fired on a Federation ship, and Book's ship fired on a Federation ship, and then, you know, I know Tarka did that last volley, okay? Conspiring to sabotage a discovery, kidnapping Reno, and then obtaining and using isolytic weapons. I mean, it's a laundry list of bad things that just kept getting worse. And so for me, it's like, you know, we, we've seen our heroes do things wrong and get forgiven. Captain Kirk or Admiral Kirk steals the Enterprise to go, you know, in Star Trek Three, And and because good things became out of Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four, he's kind of forgiven in the end. And it's all neatly wrapped up. Like I said, I just felt like, yeah, those are... 
like the thing, the five things I just listed there were in themselves all pretty bad. You know, I mean, people could have died on discovery from the amount of firing that it took, you know, and I just had a hard time with it. I mean, I couldn't help but think that what's the difference between book and con almost in Star Trek two. I mean, con has a lot of reason to be mad himself. I mean, Kirk put him on a planet and they didn't check on him, And a lot of people died because they weren't checked up on. And, you know, he was the whole part of Star. The whole reason Star Trek two is revenge and, and anger and um, wanting to settle a score. I didn't get that from book though. I hmm. I got from book that he was trying to prevent the Tensi from being able to destroy other planets. Uh, so I didn't get the vengeance factor. I mm. mean, there was probably an element of that, but this is not really what I read out of his actions. I read he was singularly focused on preventing it from happening from others. Now, his the colleague there, the the scientist, Tarka. yeah, he was just like. You know, I have this lover, and I got to get back to my lover, and damn everybody else, and f this. So I just he was trash. The whole like <laughs> I don't I don't care. But book who loves Burnham so much was willing to sacrifice his relationship with Michael, his true love, the one person he's connected with in his life, to save all of these other people on these multiple planets. So I don't know. I yeah. I, I feel I'm, like you got to give him a little bit of. A little bit of a wider berth. You know, having you list all these things with Book and giving him this wide berth because of his loss that he had, I feel I saw this theme of going back to this challenge. Like, how much do we accept or that we assume is benign when it really should be taken as this is an attack or vice versa. I mean, if we think about Species 10C with the DMA, and that was destroying, obviously, Book's world. Um, it was very catastrophic to us. And it's like, that's an attack. But then it wasn't because they were gathering energy for their hyperfield. And then we they have this liquid mercury gel hand that takes them into this hyperfield. They are taking us. Do we assume that this is, you know, for our benefit or do we assume that it's actually dangerous? How many times have we made this assumption that 10C is good when they time after time is showing bad? And I just feel like that's an important challenge to us. Like every single time, like that DMA or having us go inside, that could be taken that that is an attack against us, but yet it still wasn't. Can we view it with a different perspective? That, I feel, is a deep challenge to us individually. Calvin? I, I, th I think a lot of this comes with the benefit of hindsight. To make that determination in the moment is very difficult. Think back to your own lives and the kind of to use a phrase tough love and this might have come from a parent or or some other significant relationship in your life and at the time you thought why are you being like that and it was for your own benefit either through protection or making you think of things from a different viewpoint but at the time you reacted hostile or defensive mm -hmm. shall we say the bit about the gel i love in rosetta 
when it all starts off very, you know, Saru senses the coming of death, and then there's a lot more negative emotions. I know Diana says there are no such thing as negative emotions. But what made me laugh was as soon as there was the joyful emotion, everyone was suddenly like drug addicts. They ripped off those gloves and they threw their hands straight in the, oh, it feels good, does it? Let me have a piece of this. <laughs> so it wasn't until what was being communicated sat well with people mm -hmm. that they actually wanted to get involved with it. So that's where the defensiveness came from, I thought. Okay, so do we think we've come trial enough? I feel a little bit of an arbiter coming on. We've had a, a fabulous case for the defense there with Mark, the prosecution with Christos. Yes. <laughs> um, clearly, just to bring book to an end there, there has been um, some sentencing, if you like, and he was given his community service mm -hmm. at the end of the season, um, going helping people clean up. Do the ends justify the means? Was he given a harsh enough sentence? Didn't seem that way to me. Seemed like he was just going off on a little diplomatic envoy mission after doing all these things. Mark, what do you think? I just want to look at just compare and contrast here with the very first Starfleet mutineer that essentially started a war with the Klingons that cost how many thousands of lives that was on her way to a penal colony. And then was like, nah, I'm going to go work on another ship and then get promoted to captain. So no time served there at all. So when you compare that, uh, I think books putting in the work. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget we're bang up to date as well. We're discussing literally what happened at the end of the most recent episode of Discovery. So who knows what is going to carry through into season five that might, oh my God, there's going to be a huge episode and season long arc about his guilt, isn't there? Let's face it. That's what we're going to get now from him. The, the guilt ridden actions all, all through another 10 episodes of season five. Okay, so book's done. Let's close the book and uh, move on. So in the general theme of communication, what else was going on in season four of Discovery? What other things were being discussed? I'd like to, to start off here with the amount of airtime and positive communication that's been made in regards to mental health. Mm -hmm. And we've seen the evolution of Dr. Culber's character going from physical into kind of psychological uh, support, uh, counsellor, if you will. So do we think that it is a good thing for all of this talk of feelings in season four of Discovery? And also, how are we rating Dr. Culver as the counsellor on the show? I'm sure counsellor Amy Nelson might have some thoughts on this. You know, I like Kovic much better. I wish we got more of him because um, I like his talking. But uh, I can see that it's still important to have a counselor on board, especially in Discovery. Um, so I think Colbert's doing a great job. And I like that it's highlighting, which I think is good for us, that it's like, yes, it's your job to take care of others. And that's a really hard job so to make sure that you're taking care of you first. 
you can't share a slice of bread if you don't have a loaf yourself. Like, so I love that we're getting him struggling as well. Um, cause that to me, I feel is just so important. And I like the idea of us talking like to me, that's why I like Star Trek. It's this, the talking it out. That's exciting for me. And are we liking the kind of the, the mental health side of, of discovery? What, what do you think, Christos? Yeah, I think it's great that mental health is front and center this season on discovery. And, and even a little bit in prior seasons, obviously it's just really prevalent. I believe um, that was very intentional to mirror what the world was going through with COVID and the stress that it was putting on the, the population on individuals and isolationism and, and having to, you know, stay at home and how hard that was for some people and all the other issues that came with it. So I think there was a lot to be said with what COVID was. And I think they wanted to write that, like that ongoing stress to be an allegory for species 10C or the, you know, the DMA really um, for that part for the most of the season. And like, that was just a very ongoing stressful thing. And you just didn't know where the DMA was going to hit first. You didn't know if your planet was going to be next. And so I like that. I like that we have a counselor on discovery. I mean, technically I wonder like, okay, first off, is Culber the CMO? Was he ever the CMO? Um, I don't know, but he's a medical doctor. And then suddenly he's a counselor too, on top of that, which I guess it's not unheard of. It's just, I think, a little more unlikely. And I think they were trying to give the actor more to do. So they gave him this dual role as a counselor. So, I mean, we, we had a specific, you know, if you look at TNG as the best example, you had Crusher and Troy, you know, complete, doing two completely different roles, but they've kind of now combined it into one on Discovery. So I think it's a little, you know, it's a little convenient to have that going on. For Culber, I mean, I'm happy he's getting more screen time, to be honest with you. I think he's kind of got a raw deal. It's probably why they did this. But um, that's probably my only complaint is that it's actually Culber himself, given that he has been a medical doctor up until this season and now suddenly he's a counselor. Uh, I want to definitely agree uh, with Christos on that. Uh, that was a big sticking point for me uh, this season. I, I think he's going to be a fantastic counselor. I like that they are giving uh, the actor more lines, more things to do on the ship. But it's something you know similar to what they did with Tilly, where she's on her track to be the next captain. And, oh, wait, no, I really have this you know desire to... Uh, teach a Starfleet Academy, I'm going to go on, bye, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like they do that a lot, they did it with, uh, what was the, see, we're four seasons in, and I don't know the guy's name, but the guy that was the uh, communications officer, Bryce. Bryce, he was, you know, all of a sudden like, oh, hey guys, I'm going off with Kovic, unexplainedly why, but uh, see you next time, bye, and there's this other guy on there, it's like, it's just a lot of randomness they're doing with this show that doesn't seem to make sense, like, from a logical standpoint. You know what I mean? From the way they've developed and built these characters, that this is what would happen. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like the characters themselves de deserve more explanation, more build-up than just, like, okay, this episode, all of a sudden now... You want to go this path, and you're gone. 
Okay. Can I add another one that it's like they started it and then dropped it? Like Adira and Detmer, I didn't (laughs) understand what the heck. So we're now... Okay, so the little flirtation of, oh, I don't know how to speak to Detmer and just, we'll tell her, you know, wish her to fly well, or you know? And then it's that awkwardness, and I'm like, okay, but I thought Adira was with Gray. I don't know, maybe I'm being too closed-minded, but I just didn't see any initial flirtation, or are they just trying to be friends, or then am am I being not progressive enough, like Ken... I don't know. Please explain it. What are your thoughts? I just didn't know what to do. All right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'd be glad to hear what Mark and Kelvin think of. I didn't necessarily think it was romantic. I thought it was more okay. like the way Tilly looked up to Stamets, and Stamets was kind of, you know, didn't in the beginning in season one was always kind of like, oh, you're annoying me. And Tilly was kind of, you know, I, I always look at it like, oh, I look up to you. Um, and I might be wrong about that. I think you're right. The whole Adira and all of that was so messy. Um, I mean, even Gray, we, we waited forever to get Gray a body. And the minute they get a body, they're off the ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of a trill, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I, I felt like there were some things that weren't handled as well they call call it the b plot the c plots and whatnot of the season that just i think you're spot on amy they could have been handled better yeah i think you always have to remember too adira is supposed to just be a teenager right and same thing with tilly i mean if you look at tilly in terms of age she was just a cadet in season one and you know over the course of four years now you know like suddenly she was first officer for a little while there and and now she does not sure she want to be a captain well even if she was out of the academy at 22 it took me a long time in my career till i got to that point where i went from being the newbie the young person to being a mentor to training people to getting up and leading classes where i would say i would want to do that but that could be uh, a positive thing because receiving a message from someone who you can identify more as a peer, uh, whether it's an age difference or or just an experiential difference, um, might make Tilly have more gravitas with the cadets because they still see her as one of them rather than a, a grumpy old person. Tag on to what you were saying. I know in my work experience, I found that people that, I guess, are put in charge of scenarios that really don't have a lot more experienced than I do or other people, I tend to sort of, I guess, not trust that what they're saying is the be all and end all smartest thing. I try, I, I keep a, a open mind, obviously, and I go, well, if they're put in charge, like I'll go along with it. But I definitely try more to see, okay, well, maybe we could do this or maybe we could do that. But if somebody is coming at me with a whole bunch of experience under their belt and put in charge of a situation, then I'm like, well, they probably know. Let's do that thing, right? Yeah. So all these characters are throwing themselves into situations that are literally life and death. But then if you look at Saru, matters of the human heart, he would rather risk his life on a mission than take a risk and, and, you know, become heartbroken, which is... 
weird when you think about it. You know, there may have been times in our own life where there's been a bit of unrequited love or you've misread the signals or you've run away from something because you've just not wanted to take that risk. So, do you, Amy, what do you think? Do you think it added to season four to have the that heart when they, everything was so dire. Yes, it did. And it shows you that love can exist in any situation, right? It just pops up at the random time. And I too love the Saru and Tarina. I love their dynamics. And I love that Saru had to go to Burnham and she sort of was their translator. Well, you know, Vulcans feel this way. So she's probably saying this. Like they're communicating about it. Um, it just was wonderful. And I want to see more of Tarina. And I love female Vulcans too. Like to bring Strange New Worlds, get me out. I love her. Yeah. So Kelvin, school well, us all. Tell us how it really is with your beautiful relationship with James. Oh, there's, uh, my book will be hitting stores <laughs> uh, in 2023. <laughs> Right, final thoughts, guys. What do we think? Discovery, season four, communication studies. Uh, Mark, do you want to start us off? Uh, sure. Well, <laughs> we got through it. <laughs> <laughs> the, what, the two-part like, I got, yeah, the On communication, four. I have no words. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, hey, listen, uh, I think it was an important topic uh, to cover. Uh, I I know the listeners loved it. We got a lot of feedback on episode one. I think we'll get a lot more on episode two. So that's great. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this one. For me personally, uh, do I appreciate season four anymore? Do I appreciate? Uh, nah, not really. But you know, but I did it, and I I watched um, more episodes this morning of season four just to uh, to prepare. Uh, but yeah, I'm still not sold. But that's okay. We're not all going to love it. I know Christos uh, jumps on and sometimes talks about uh, the original series, and it's not his favorite. Uh, Discovery Season 4 is not mine, but I got through it, and we're done. <laughs> so, conversation done. How about you, Christos? How are you reflecting on uh, Discovery Season 4? You went out and bought the new Blu-ray. You must be up for it. I did. I, I, I did buy the Blu-ray, and like I said, I also check out the special features but what i found i really enjoyed my rewatch of season four. First off i binged the, the whole season over probably about five days maybe five or six days and taking the episodes in one after another it, it it's it it's so much more cohesive than trying to watch them week to week as they were dropping a year or so ago so um i would recommend that if anybody is up for it binge the season like try to watch try to watch it over the course of a week or so or less and uh, i think it presents a lot better than it did initially um and of course i love a lot of i love a lot of season four i have my issues which we've discussed over the last two episodes with this but overall i really enjoy the season and would recommend it wonderful and, and Amy, you started off uh, you, the passion for this conversation with communication. So 
clearly we we probably know how you feel but how are you feeling after we've discussed it at length in this two-parter yeah i am so grateful for all of you uh mark i know especially you this is a trial but i feel like the discussion has been so good and that we can pull the themes and it's sort of what we have to do with these, the way that it's being told is storytelling nowadays in the big long season. And like we can look at a topic or say like communication and we can go to Classic Trek and say, all right, Darmok, this is one episode. It's going to be talking about communication. And we can have this discussion on one episode. But with Discovery, you really do need to watch the entire season, like you were saying, Christos and pull the themes out and as we there are a lot of other themes outside of communication that's in season four that we could have just as much you know length and discussion and quality communication about because there's so many themes within one season so i appreciate that we got the time to just look at this one theme that happens to be my favorite theme and why this season four of Discovery is my favorite season out of Discovery. Like it is, and it's that theme, and I'm just so grateful that we had this conversation. So thank you for indulging me on my little fun season four Discovery. Thank you, Amy. And okay, so Mark, we're done. Where are we going next? Why don't you give us a tease on what next week's episode is looking like too? Much to your great relief. (laughs) <laughs> I know it's like a breath of fresh air in comparison. But, uh, although last week was fun too. I, I liked our a little short trek uh, discussion. But next week, uh, we are going to continue with our Get Off My Ship series uh, with the Enterprise episode Acquisition. If you guys remember, it was the episode where we had the Ferengi on Enterprise. Now, of course, we were first introduced on TNG, and so technically in canon, uh, you know, the Federation has no idea who the Ferengi are, so they're this sort of unknown species that uh, takes control of the Enterprise and tries to, I guess, uh, rob them blind. Um, <laughs> and so uh, for me, uh, I always really liked this episode. It was fun seeing them uh, again on Enterprise. Uh, I liked the hijinks of it all, and um, yeah, I love these kind of one-off episodes where the, the crew sort of has to fight back and regain control of the ship. There's some really fun episodes that do that. Wonderful. Something to look forward to. We would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you'll join our Facebook group, The BQN Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also tweet your thoughts with at allgoodpod. Please follow the network on Twitter and Instagram at BQN Podcasts. We've also partnered with our friends at Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching the Master Feed. So, Amy, where can people find you when you're not decoding complex hydrocarbons? Oh, my favorite. Uh, Well, you can find me here on the network where I'm co-hosting Union Federation and Galaxy Class. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, uh, but my favorite place right there in our Facebook group, the BQN Collective. And Christos, where can people find you when you're sending out light signals? Uh, you can San find Diego. Oh, <laughs> yes. You can find me in the BQN Collective as well on Facebook. 
as well as on Instagram, Twitter, and um, at GreekGeekSD. And you can also find me on my other podcast, What's the T-Bev, here on the BQN. Mark, where can people find you when you're not stealing experimental spore drives? Well, when I'm not doing that, uh, people can find me in the Facebook group, The BQN Collective. Uh, they can also find me on Twitter at markwhite207. They can find me if they become a patron of the network on Patreon, where I host a show called It's Green. And uh, you guys might like that. So, uh, Calvin, where can people find you when you are not shipping uh, Saru and Trina? <laughs> When I'm not doing that, you can find me on the Facebook group, the BQN Collective, and on good old Twitter and Instagram, at Kelvin's Timeline. Please hit the subscribe button on podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. That way, you won't miss any of our fine shows like Union Federation, Galaxy Class, History with the Zalagis, Infinite Diversity, Mickey's Marvels, Sasquatch, What's the T-Bev, and Trexpert's Quiz. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producer, Mahendran Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music, and Mark White for our artwork each and every week. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We'll add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy It's Green, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks like uh, special Trexperts quizzes that come out just for the patrons. Uh, with a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com forward slash BQN to get all the details and watch your messages. We hope you'll join us as we search out all good things. <laughs>